Hello, Shakes Pals. Happy holidays. Today is a very special day because me and Gemma Allred are talking about Shakespeare, Christmas, Hallmark movies, and oh boy, oh boy, it's a one. It's a... <laughs> it, these movies are a gift to the universe, uh, and I'm so excited to get to talk about them with Gemma. Thank you once again to Alexander Munoz for coming on last week. The conversation I was able to have with them about the Kurosawa films was so full and so enriching and just so much fun. And I'm so happy that I, I've i gotten to watch so many good movies, um, ones that are legitimately good and also ones that are good for my heart, even with their low cinematic quality. Uh, it's just a great holiday season, and I'm so happy I get to share it with all of you. Reminder that Adventure Incorporated is still doing their charity drive through December. If you donate to a charity of your choice and email proof of donation to adventuringpodcast at gmail.com, we will match that donation to one of the charities on our list. So please check out Adventure Inc. Pod on Twitter and uh, let us let us know where you are giving your love this holiday season. Other than that, I hope you are just enjoying yourself. I hope you are getting a well-deserved rest. And remember that the best way to spread Christmas cheer is to shout about your favorite Shakespeare showdown podcast for all to hear. Quick note about the quality of this recording. Uh, I made an oops with the Zoom. Uh, so it's a little rough in some spots. I apologize for that, um, but hopefully y'all can uh, brace yourselves and get through those little bursts of uh, real like laptop input sound. Uh, sorry. <laughs> Merry Christmas. I love you all. <laughs> Welcome to Protest Too Much, a Shakespeare showdown podcast where a guest and I go head to head each week and you get to decide who wins. Okay, so today on this uh, beautiful Christmas week, I have academic Gemma Allred with me and we are talking Hallmark holiday movies based off of Shakespeare plays. It has been one of the best weeks of movie watching in, I think, my whole life. So, Gemma, thank you so much for bringing this. Thank you so much for being here. Not a problem. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. I, I do love a good Christmas movie, and the shakes <laughs> of it makes it even cooler. Even cooler. Go ahead and tell everyone a little bit about yourself, what you do, and where they can find your work. Absolutely. So um, I'm a doctoral researcher. I'm doing a PhD in marketing Shakespeare, sort of everything that happens off the stage that influences how we take the performance when we watch it. I have a sort of side hustle in lockdown Zoom Shakespeare. Um, so if you want to read my work, um, I'm, I'm on a blog, Rethinking Shakespeare. And also I've got a book coming out next summer on a whole year of lockdown Shakespeare, which is very exciting. And that's with Bloomsbury Arden. That's so exciting. That will be on my shelf as soon as it comes out and it should be on all of yours as well. Uh, there were so many amazing things that happened in lockdown and just the way that Shakespeare kind of permeated its way into everything uh, without having any kind of content restriction or rights issues. It really was one of the best ways to get that performance itch out when we were all at home. So I'm really excited to read that and looking forward to seeing what else you do. 
especially if Hallmark keeps coming out with amazing Shakespeare Christmas movies. Um, so we watched, for a bit of context, we watched three of these movies. One was called, technically it's called The Spruces and the Pines, but I think the subtitle is A Star-Crossed Christmas, Rodeo and Juliet, uh, and then Much Ado About Christmas, which is, I think, the most straightforward title of the bunch. It tells you exactly what you're getting. Um, so we're going to kind of go through them, give our highlights, lowlights, uh, general overall reactions and thoughts. And then at the end, we are going to do a little, uh, we're going to give Hallmark a gift of our own with what we think the next Christmas Shakespeare movie should be. So let's start with the Spruces and the Pines, just because that was the first one I watched. Uh, and it was very classic ish Romeo and Juliet. So Gemma, why don't you Tell everyone a little bit about the spruces and the pines. <laughs> so it's typical Hallmark movie. You've got city girl. She's been away at college. She's returning home for Christmas. It's her first Christmas without her mum. It's very sad. But it turns out her family run a Christmas tree farm, which they would because obviously her surname is Pine. <laughs> Julie Pine, our Juliet of the piece. And she's gone home for Christmas and there's a rival farm. Who knew there'd be two Christmas tree farms farms in the place? The second one is the Spruces farm. And that gives us our Romeo character, Rick Spruce. Also a Texan, moved to New England, never experienced winter, but is now selling Christmas trees because it's the family business. And he's there and they meet over a badly tied Christmas tree, a few donuts and takeout coffees in the only coffee shop in town. But they've got a feud. The two families don't get on. And uh, who knows what's going to happen? It's Romeo and Juliet, no. death, destruction, the whole shebang. That's what's going to happen, surely. Well, so this is this was the first one I watched, and this is one of those. Um, so I told my fiance what I was doing, and he was like, "Sounds great, have fun." Uh, but he wanders out of you know playing video games, and he's like, "What is this?" And then all of a sudden, the movie was over, and he was still there. <laughs> very invested in what was happening in the film but he kept yelling this is going to be really bad when they both die this is yeah. going to get dark so fast yeah yeah it it does there's a letter from beyond the grave and everything <laughs> oh my gosh that was yeah so there is a lot of there's a lot of um uh ghost guilt involved in this um i guess technically the um lady capulet I'm assuming she's supposed to be. Of the crew, yeah. Um, there were a lot of really fun, to me, kind of iterations of, you know, we had the prince character who was trying to mediate between the two families. And then we had the Benvolio, or I guess um, they would have been Paris and Mercutio, not Benvolio, even though he kind of looked like a Benvolio yeah. type. Yeah, I think so. There was like another side romance going on. We had a lot of romance a lot of Christmas trees. <laughs> Very Fair and holly. Those <laughs> Christmas people. <laughs> they were great. I liked them. Um, I liked the little hint that it dropped that at the very beginning we were going to be, even without the Romeo and Juliet characters falling in love, we already had some kind of cross-family romance brewing or happening. There's little looks in the shop. and Yeah. I quite, I loved Bear. He was such a, he's like a big teddy bear character who was just, very straight down the line about we can't talk to them they're really bad but with his little side hustle with holly yeah. holly from from the spruces and then but 
I just I was so waiting for the exit pursued by line. If you're gonna have a character oh called Mayor, he had to he should have chased someone out. There should have been a moment <laughs> where Rick Pine was like thrown out of the farm, <laughs> exit pursued by Bear. And it didn't happen. Oh my I gosh. Was so disappointed. That is so disappointing. I thought we'd set that up from the start. I thought, oh, we've oh. set up the best, the best stage direction ever. And then when we got to the end and there was no kind of comedy bear chase through the pines, I was really disappointed. I am now also disappointed. <laughs> oh no. Yeah, that was a huge, um, that was a huge misstep, which I didn't even pick up on. I was so wrapped up in the rest of it that the thing that I really liked about Bear, um, we talk about Rick being a Texan going back to New or going to New England for the first time. I grew up in New England and moved to Texas. So getting to see, um, we were, we found out that it was filmed in Massachusetts and we were trying to like pinpoint where generally I got pretty close with the town that it was filmed in. I was like a town over, but pretty much everything New England Christmassy looks the same. And everyone in New England, Bear was so perfectly Boston. Like he and Julia are having this emotional moment. She's talking about um, Rick. And then she starts talking about like actual like, grief and her mom. And he just kind of like nudges her and stops talking. And I was like, oh, there's the Boston spirit right there. <laughs> we avoid emotion at all costs. <laughs> Make a little joke. And then just let it let it alone. <laughs> so that was very perfectly perfectly acted uh, in in that role. <laughs> no, he was he was cool. I, again, I think for me, I love the fact that that we didn't have enough characters, so we merged like the nurse mm -hmm. and the friar and the prince into into our coffee shop lady Martha. I and the love fact that Martha. She's like, Let me just fix this. Here, have some donuts. That'll <laughs> that'll make you fall in love. Donuts. <laughs> And then, but then turn out these she, cookies to the rival farm. No, Martha, we can't. You will. You have okay. to. My van is broken. My van is broken. I kept thinking she was going to be Santa. Like, I, I knew it was Romeo and Juliet and I had to start like conflating characters. But I was like, she's, I'm so conditioned for Christmas movies that there's like a, a, a twinkle eye Santa somewhere in the you know, town square that I kept yeah. thinking like, oh, she's, she is the magic of Christmas. She's Santa. Well, she was well, a miracle. We, we, she was a fact. She called the miracle from the start. And we sort of had the swing back at the end. We got our Christmas miracle. Yeah. But it's the fact that her backstory is really sad. So she'd been pining for, for Mr. Montague <laughs> the whole time. Mr. Spruce and Martha should have got together when they were kids, but no. Mr. Yeah. Pine stolen the only woman in town. And that was, that was that. Yeah. And I think we're we're able to kind of spoil some of the the bits of this movie. Definitely watch for yourself because nothing we say can live up to the actual film. Um, but the rival, you know, they all thought it started because of a fire, but it was really over Lady Capulet um, having to choose between the spruces and the pines, which honestly, both of neither of their reactions is adult or mature oh. or acceptable for something like that. But there's something kind of reverse Hamlet-esque about the whole thing, that the ghost comes back and says, fix the feud with this letter. Couldn't she have done that in the entirety of her marriage? That's honestly, that was the thing that got me. I'm like, you're using your ghost guilt. I guess like maybe she had tried a lot early on and just couldn't do it. And then the only way she could do it is as a ghost. 
I mean, there wasn't a literal ghost, but like she sent letters and she had hidden. She'd hidden this tree topper though, because uh-huh. God forbid we don't have the tree topper on our right. Christmas tree. Right. It's always been there. It's always been the same. You can't have anything different on Christmas. Everything has to be the same on Christmas. You know, I, I, I the whole thing was just phenomenal. I think <laughs> I actually loved. It's the first one I saw that was a, a Shakespeare themed one. Mm-hmm. Like I watch all of these movies. I love them to bits. It's the first Shakespeare one. I thought this is this is special. Yeah, I really did like how they captured the, um, like the the quick romance of Romeo and Juliet, and then kind of brought it into that modern sensibility where they then they just spent a year together before they got married the next Christmas, which is a nice, lovely little nod yeah. to her parents. Yeah. And it, but it just felt. I mean, it was very silly. Um, but it felt like it had the general spirit of the first half of Romeo and Juliet. If Absolutely. If it had a Martha and a ghost, who knows? No, I think it really did. I think the fact that, the, that they were so deeply in love after like a single coffee on the bleachers, that was it. And that was like, he's giving up his future. He's got a successful Christmas tree farm he's inheriting, giving all that up for this girl that lives next door that he didn't ever know. That's <laughs> brilliant. But then it's, it's the thing, we haven't got Mercutio. So without Mercutio, we don't have a catalyst to make it run off its comedy, rom- rom-com type. So we end up in a in a romance, like it was always supposed to be. Feud sorted, everyone married, nobody dead. Yeah, see, and I would argue that it was because we didn't have a Tybalt. Because I think that, I think that Holly and Bear kind of filled that Mercutio-esque with all their pranks, which I was like, this is, these are these are bad pranks they need if these are what they think are pranks they need to the upside down christmas tree was like a step in the right direction but (laughs) but yeah because they didn't have that young the young generation of like really holding to the rivalry in a sincerely aggressive way i think maybe that to me is why it didn't take the turn into into romeo and juliet territory but i also think tybalt belongs everywhere so nobody really (laughs) understood why they were feuding they just wasn't feud like we need to think this is, this is a very small town with two major sort of business people feuding in coffee shops. Right. They're, and they're gonna know. People have people don't move out of towns like that. People live there till they die. And so people would know that they were friends and then uh, one of them married one of them instead of the other. Like people would know that and they would talk about it. Well, you think so, wouldn't you? <laughs> you would you would think so. Maybe they just didn't talk about it to their families because they assumed they but it knew. Was, it wasn't the fact that like Julie had never seen any photographs of her parents as children because when this <laughs> random box of photographs turns up and oh my god you're friends with the spruces who knew who knew um oh. overall I liked uh the spruces and the pines it was it fulfilled that holiday spirit fulfilled the Shakespeare spirit it did then we had <laughs> some okay. trouble with this one I'm sorry <laughs> And we had Rodeo and Juliet. Rodeo's a horse. The moment it started. And then I was like, is she gonna <laughs> is this a movie that I like don't want to watch? Is this like a bestiality movie? What is going to happen? <laughs> um uh Gemma, I'm just gonna let you start here because yeah, I don't where, know where, where, where to. to. I don't know where we start with. I think I'm gonna start with the fact that in true Shakespeare fashion, it also has two titles. So in Europe, I can only find it as a Christmas pony. What? Which also makes no sense. 
Because it's like the horse isn't the main thing about this film, despite you sort of shoehorning his name into the American title. Christmas pony says nothing. That's like the Christmas toy. It's about a little, like a little boy and he gets a stuffed pony for Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. This isn't right. So so Rodeo and Juliet slash a Christmas pony. Um, Let's start with the fact that Juliet's a teenager, which is great. If she was played by someone under 27, <laughs> whose mom was, was over 30. So, I mean, you've got this mum and mum and Juliet. Mum's called Karen, which is, shows you how this, this film is aged. So she, the mum's called Karen, and she's probably all of 33. Her daughter's 27, despite mm-hmm. seemingly being a teenager. Mm-hmm. They look their ages. It's slightly troubling. And the mum's a successful writer, but has writer's block and so goes to her Florida <laughs> for Christmas. And Juliet responds like she's being taken out of her life forever. Her friends act like she's dead. She's not. She's going on holiday for like three weeks. <laughs> but it's like the world. Because her grandfather died and she's acting like this is the most inconvenient thing yeah. that's ever happened to her. Yeah. And then you find out that they're going to like clean out the ranch so that they can resell it and move on with their lives after her grandfather died. Go I'm back like, to okay, New Juliet. Her All life right. and her friends. So she goes, she te- little teenage sentence and they head off to Florida. And then you sort of get this brooding guy turns up with a toolbox and a Christmas tree. And you're like, this is not the kind of movie I want to be watching. There's something going to go down here. And I, I don't really, <laughs> it's not good. He's like stepped in from a slightly X-rated Shakespeare movie with, with the hair too, over. with the hair and the cowboy hat, and the cowboy hat. And he comes in, and you think he's too old to be Romeo, but no, the love interest is for the mom, who's also too young for this man with the grey hair and the cowboy hat. And it turns out the mom, and, the mom and Hugh, because he has to have a good old Florida name, Hugh, Hugh the farmhand comes in my excuse my terrible american accents but then he's got a nephew called monty mm-hmm. and he's romeo yep we sell net rodeo though so rodeo is the horse the granddad had a horse that rode rodeo so rodeo the rodeo horse if you, <laughs> you know in case you've got problems following a plot rodeo is a rodeo horse and Juliet decides to look after the horse. The mum says she has to sell it. They live in New York City. Juliet wants to live in New York City. They don't need a rodeo horse in New York City. So the logical thing would be to sell the horse. But no, um, illicit rodeo barrel racing lessons later. You've got rodeo. No, you haven't got rodeo. You've got Monty and Juliet (laughs) in a kind of hidden tryst. Yep. And the whole thing's ridiculous. It is and then there's the whole thing where uh, Karen's dad, she assumed that he would leave her the ranch and yeah. will, but he promised Hugh that Hugh could have half of the ranch because Hugh had been the one taking care of it for the 27 years of Juliet's life. Yeah. Um, and so, but Karen doesn't want to give him half because they used to be engaged. <gasps> she left him for New York. Uh and writing and yeah they're they're the feud but it never actually like i know they tried to force the you can't see monty because i'm mad at hugh angle but it just didn't it it really didn't work for me Gemma, it, didn't, it, it didn't work <laughs> it didn't work because these these 
very adult teenagers had phones. Yeah. And that was the problem. They, they just said, okay, we'll just WhatsApp each other and meet up, which is yeah. largely what they did. Yep. yep. And then at the end, it's sort of, oh, look, our, our children, our friends, we better get married now. Yeah. Oh, we found the will. He did give you half of it, I guess. I'll buy you out. And then that was the weird thing at the end. She was like, yeah, I'm going to, he was like, yeah, I'm going to let you buy me out and then I'll fix it and you can give me half later. Like it was a weird, weird transactional ending of the movie. It felt a little bit like they didn't quite know where they were going when they started. Yeah. Because they were like, we can't have them kill themselves, but we don't know how to we don't know any other ending for Romeo and Juliet. It's not like we have every other romance movie ever to go off of. No, it's 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 not a great movie. And it wouldn't be the one I'd start with. I think it'd be the one you watch sort of last if you're really, really desperate for I think, this fix. I think it was good in the middle. I do think it was a good middle movie because I was able to recover a little bit with Much Ado About Christmas. <laughs> Um, yeah yeah I think so although I will say I'll give it its due it did have a very nice ball scene which we were missing we were missing in Starcross Christmas they didn't have a ball scene there was there was a barn dance there was a barn dance and we segued briefly into Mean Girls which I was like why have we got into Mean Girls briefly where did that where's this come from what do you call Mean Girls in New York (laughs) it was like we went we went to a barn dance and then we met all these other teenagers that disappeared. Yeah, except the one that Nan liked who came in in the last like 30 seconds of the movie and she was like, mm, go for it. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It, it, there were major problems, I think, with some of the, the plot. Yeah. Yeah. It, and I think that a lot of what is interesting to me about Romeo and Juliet is the conflict that happens with Paris. Mm-hmm. I think that more than Romeo and Juliet not being allowed to be together like themselves for the sake of of the feud, I think that the addition of Paris coming in as this like promised betrothal is what really shakes things up. And I think that you could do that with a Christmas movie. Like I think that that would be an easy, especially if it's like a, especially if you take it to that um, princess or or prince kind of theme and you have this promised marriage that like then, you know, they write. I feel like you could do a really good Romeo and Juliet Christmas movie with royalty in that Snowdonia, whatever. Uh. Absolutely could. I think, yeah, I think we have moving it to Florida in a ranch <laughs> was, was never going to work. And then like they were so good at barrel racing that even yeah. though she didn't, you know, win the, the horse, she was offered a job training horses with Monty (laughs) and then she just doesn't want to go back it took her a week to never want to go back to see her friends in New York again yeah I I mean I guess it was a life-changing experience for her weirdly though (laughs) it took longer than it in terms of time frame they at least had like a few weeks of teenage relationship it wasn't like overnight like I felt it's Bruce in the Pines was like this immediate yeah we're now in love at least sort of with Monty and Julie there was Juliet there was a point at which you thought oh maybe I'll just be friends (laughs) yeah and go riding on their horses especially with like his uncle and her mom getting remarried or getting married for the first time that's not gonna be weird is it 
that was also very weird because there wasn't any, I mean, in terms of like acting, there was no like sexual tension or attraction. There was anywhere in the movie. <laughs> but like, no, it's, it wasn't, it wasn't the best acted film <laughs> I've ever seen. There was a lot of hat acting. There was a lot of, I'm a cowboy, here's my hat. <laughs> I really liked the judge. The judge was. Yeah. The um the prince character, I really um he just seemed like a nice, nice old man who was just trying to do his job. And had no Yeah, very badly. But he didn't seem to have any stake in them. He was basically just like, figure it out yourselves. And that's what I want from a prince like character. Like, don't fight in my office, but figure it out on your own. Yeah, I was a bit surprised, though, that we didn't have a kind of Friar... We had a character called Lawrence, but he didn't do any of the matchmaking that Friar Lawrence should have done. Oh, my God. I didn't... Okay, this is how bad I am at (laughs) Shakespeare, I guess. I did not put that together. Like, you called him Lawrence. Oh, God. Friar Lawrence. But he's not acting as any kind of (laughs) guiding figure for either of our Romeos. He's just sort of... He's a lawyer with a messy office. I was a lawyer for many years. If I'd have lost someone's will, you know, we have like lead line boxes for those things. Yeah. You don't yeah. just leave it under some newspapers in the corner of your office. <laughs> Particularly when the person's dead, you find that thing. Uh, y- you would think. You um, wouldn't you? You would think, but then we wouldn't have the whole plot device of Karen procrastinating her book to clean his office, which I guess led to finding the will, but yeah, not procrastinating. Nothing else. Yeah, I often had clients come around and clean my office for me. <laughs> no issues with client confidentiality there at all. Right. So, uh, so much to say about rodeo. I think Juliet. it would make a very good drinking movie. I oh. think. Yes. Yes. Every time someone attempts to get on a horse, was <laughs> when she was about to at the very start throw the saddle on top of him. I was like, oh gosh. Right. Thankfully, they put in the note where her mom was like, who do you think paid for all of your riding lessons in New York City? And because I was like, this girl is just going to jump on a horse for the first time in her life. She like that. You can't do that. No. Yikes. Anyway, speaking of uh, (laughs) drinking games. uh, (laughs) So I watched the first one. I watched um, Spruces in the Pines with my fiance. I unfortunately watched Rodeo and Juliet alone. um, Which is the best. I don't know. I feel like I need um, someone else to tell me that I'm not crazy for seeing what I'm seeing on the screen as it's happening. Um, and then Much Ado About Christmas, I watched with a group of girlfriends and we all do Shakespeare in Austin together. So that 12 out of 10 recommend that environment for this type of movie. And this was my favorite of the bunch. I am, I am a sucker for anything Much Ado. I mm-hmm. love Much Ado About Nothing. And I think that, I mean, thank thank you for doing not a tragedy and trying to make a, a tragedy into a Christmas movie. <laughs> thank you for doing a comedy because we can have yeah. a level of drama without, there's always drama and uh, like and antagonism in <laughs> Shakespeare. So why not use that? And then also with a happy ending. So again, I'm going to let you talk about um, Much Ado About Christmas. Uh, Because I am excited. I have not read a Medium article on how you feel about this one. 
So you haven't. It's a, it's a new film, 2021. Yeah. New. It was filmed. It was filmed in Romania this summer. Oh my gosh, we guessed a lot of places, but Romania did not make it to our list. That makes a lot of sense. So it's sort of filmed in lockdown. So I think there's a lot of touching because they're allowed to touch. Yes. So it's a very, a very physical film. Everyone sort of <laughs> keeps touching each other. And I think it's the kind of COVID thing. So much to do about Christmas. It's it's much ado as a Christmas film. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. And we have yeah. sort of, we have Haley as his hero. And then you've got Claude as Claudio. <laughs> you've got, we've got Beatrice, he's still Beatrice. And then you've got Ben as Benedict. And then we have Don as some kind mm. of ad exec type yeah. thing. But they cut out all of the peril. So you, there was no sort of big risk. It was more sort of just romance and cocoa and cookies. And yeah. I think it's set in England. It, yeah, it's set in, the accents really threw me off. Because I don't think anyone's British in that film. I have to say, as a Brit, I, I did, it, it was a little bit like playing British bingo. <laughs> Like they go out on a date and they walk past a fish and chip shop, pronounced fish and chips, which I've never heard a Brit call it fish and chips before. Some kind of nuclear reactor in a in a cone of chips, and that was sort of the most British thing ever. That on a date we go and get a cone of chips. Yeah, but then yeah. Hayley doesn't eat her chips; they get thrown away, which is absolutely hilarious. She doesn't eat anything in this whole film; she just gets being handed food that she doesn't eat. <laughs> yeah, so they meet Haley and Claude meet at a party. Haley doesn't reveal that she is the daughter of a major jewellery, oh, perfume company. And she doesn't reveal this. Claude is an ad exec. They are pitching for work. Claude and Haley fall in love. It's all lovely. Benedict and Beatrice have been in a relationship before in London. Ben's come to town, hasn't told Beatrice he's there. That's really bad. They meet across the party as well. Will they rekindle their romance? Who knows? <laughs> We have our ad boys go and pitch their work to the mum and then it's revealed that Haley was annoyed all along and poor Claude feels cheated and feels used. And then he sees her talking to another slimy exec and decides that she's obviously <laughs> seeing him as well. Um, but she's not. And it all works out in the end. And Beatrice and Benedict get back together. Haley and Claude get together. Everything's perfect and happy and romantic. Everything is perfect and happy. Uh, I I feel like here's the reason that I I didn't mind that there wasn't actually like any stakes in this movie mm -hmm. um, because I feel like Claudio in actual Much Ado is such an absolute ding dong mm -hmm. as it is that him being mad about her not revealing who her mother is versus like him believing anecdotal evidence about her cheating on him is kind of the same thing. Like, yes, it is much more dramatic in an Elizabethan period because it, the broader implications are yeah. much, much worse. But like, I didn't mind that it was something kind of stupid because Claudio's kind of stupid. And <laughs> that felt really real to me. But it's a, it's a scarf. So she has this big scarf that she wears all the time. And the scarf falls off and Claudio wraps the scarf around her neck like a man who's never seen a scarf before. <laughs> it's the most awkward, let me wrap this around you. I don't know what I'm doing with this piece of wool. And then later, Niles, our evil ad exec, wraps a scarf around her neck, which obviously means she's having some kind of 
underhand scarf affair with somebody else. <laughs> and that, that was all it took, which is about as ridiculous as the Claudio plot in the actual play. Yes. You see the silhouette in a window. Well, that's obviously enough. Yeah. And so it's equally silly and low stakes and easily sorted. Do we think that Niles was just an amalgamation of Don John, Baraccio, Conrad, that whole like evil trio? Yeah, I think so. He's sort of a bit of a, just a pantomime villain, really. Yeah, Niles was just such a weird name because everything else was so close. Um, yeah. Like even Leonardo was Leona. So we had all of those really, like they were going hard with the Much Ado names. And then we had Niles and I was like, yeah, he, yeah. I was trying to work out wh where he was sitting in our our Shakespeare Christmas universe, but he wasn't. <laughs> he didn't really fit anything. He was just here. Come and be a British villain in a film. Yeah, a little bit. I forgot that everyone else was also allegedly British, so the British villain didn't really work in the context of a film where everybody's British. Yeah, you put you put air quotes around that on this uh, audio format because. I, the accents, especially Beatrice's, I was like, where are you supposed to be from? I guess because it was a fictional, this is kind of what, <laughs> um, so I play D&D &D, and I've got a character who is kind of like a weird Irish adjacent accent, but mm -hmm. because it's a fictional world, I'm like, everyone's like, oh, you're trying to do an Irish accent? And I'm like, no, I'm doing a wherever the heck she's supposed to be from our fantasy world accent. Because that place doesn't exist. Um, so maybe that was the vibe that they were going for. Um, like, we're in this Snowdenville or uh, whatever. Winterstone. Winterstone. <laughs> Winterstone. Maybe it was a Winterstonian accent. And Possibly. not. But then we do have to think about Doris, our Christmas elf. I'm making hot chocolate. Was she Irish or Scottish? I was like, she doesn't know. She's Scottish. Oh no, no, she's Irish. She's Irish. She's oh no, back to Scott. Halfway through a sentence, she changed her accent. Maybe that was what they were going for with that like dogberry pull. Is that like you know uh, the way that he miss the the malapropisms that he uses? Maybe they were trying to go for that like purposefully with her accent fluctuating. Maybe it's a choice. Did you ever think about that, Gemma? Did you ever think it might be a choice? I didn't think about that at all. I just thought they had an actress and said, you have to be, you have to be Regents. Just pick one. And she was like, I don't know. I, I've never done this before. Yeah. If I did, I did like the signifier of hot chocolate as being whether you were good or bad, whether you had a, had a peppermint candy cane in your, in your cocoa or whether you asked for Bailey's with a nice yeah. product placement. We knew that guy was evil because he was like, can you hurry this up? I don't like pepper. Is this going to be a production? And I want to be like, sir, have you seen Mr. Bean in Love Actually? Yes, it has to be a production. It has to be a production and you're in a Christmas film. So just take the cocoa. <laughs> take the cocoa and go. And get on with it. But it was also, I couldn't understand the gathering. They had champagne in one hand and peppermint cocoa in the other hand. And could you imagine the curdling going on? Oh God, I can now. <laughs> I was like, what, what is this? Does the cocoa stand exist? Is this our Christmas miracle? There were bells chiming whenever our sort of Irish elf turned up. Oh, oh, that was the thing that I loved, I think, the most out of this movie is that they couldn't trust the audience to just accept that someone could like love at first sight or whatever. So they like 
flared out the lighting as soon as Claude approached the hot cocoa stand. And we saw this like white filter that like this like bright light that was like, oh, where she fell in love because he got really like overblown lighting. Yeah. And he likes cocoa, which, you know, is, is, but I loved, I loved this film. I loved the fact that they tried really hard with their names to make them Shakespearean. And then they put all of their thoughts into that. And then they forgot to name any other business as any kind of normal name. So you had, she worked in a charity shop called the Hope Chest. Yep. And then they worked for Blue Sky. Blue Skies. That went up against elite (laughs) ad agency. It was a little bit like a kind of entry level high school creative writing project yeah that's because Shakespeare hadn't given them those names they could have like they could have done some sort of like pun on uh Messina for the hope chest like I don't know I'm not good at puns but they could have done that they could have done something with like the prince of Aragon uh for an ad agency I bet they could have gotten clever but they just they didn't want to no what what do we do blue sky thinking perfect let's do that (laughs) I also loved their office. I love the Blue Sky Ad Boys office. Mm -hmm. They had no work. They just had piles of hardback books, like coffee table books (laughs) and and an excess of fairy lights. (laughs) Yeah. Um, The set dressing budget for this film was bananas. First of all, the same person decorated every every single place in Winterstone. There was every place was decorated in the exact same style, the exact same way. And... Yes, there's no way these stupid boys could have decorated that office the way that they did. Because none of them had the attention to, not detail, but like uh, creative. <laughs> I, they should. They're like ad boys. But none of them as characters had any like belief that they would be also into like decorating. Into Christmas in any big way. Mm-hmm. But then the subplot of that, because they because of the mix up of romance... They fired all of their staff like oh two days God. before Christmas. Right. It's like Don John's walk. It's every time Don became mean. It was like, you've got to go now. We haven't got the job. Out the door. Get your things. Yeah. I was like, this is a bit drastic. Yeah. Um, yes. And then I'm like, I would like to hope when he was like, you're going to be the first one we hire back when we when we get the money. Um, I hope, first of all, that that guy found a different job that had a little bit more security and didn't have to go running back to Blue Skies Agency. But also, I hope that, like, at the end of the film, like, you know, I would have loved to see a scene where their, like, agency was, like, bustling and thriving with a bunch of different people. Because, like, I was more invested in the careers and livelihood of his uh, ex-staff than (laughs) the romance part of it. I I think... There were a lot of problematic things about that film that were just centering our... It was very Shakespearean, the centering of the lovers. When they go to the karaoke bar... And oh he says, God. oh, should we, should we go up? Oh, no, I can't sing. 22 songs later, they've got costumes. Right. Also, also, this was, I think, maybe my biggest pet peeve. You go to a karaoke, you can't just decide to go next. And it's not, not like, off the stage. It doesn't work like that. Like, there is a line. Have you never been to karaoke? You have to put your name in well ahead of time. And you have to wait your turn and you get one song, not seven. No, and you and where did the ukulele come from? Oh. Benedict rocks up and suddenly has a ukulele. And I'm oh, sorry. I don't want to sing. Allow me to do a ukulele solo. Nobody, nobody is that prepared. Even, even when he's like, 
I'm the king of karaoke. I am the best at karaoke. How could you not invite me? And then like they have these duets planned. It, it, you, it doesn't work like that. Singing doesn't work like that. <laughs> I've been to karaoke. I was a little confused though about the Benedict and Beatrix backstory. Yeah. So there's a poster updated. Beatrice is Haley's best friend, which is all great. How does Benedict not yeah. know? Yeah, she annoyed. How? I'm screaming that. Like, screaming because there's no way. Unless like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I have no answer. It never came up in conversation because he obviously knew her because I would have understood if they'd done a kind of, oh, this is my friend Haley. She lives in this strange fictional part of England we've never been to called Winterstone. <laughs> you don't leave London. But right. How? I don't. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it was sort of that. And I think that was puzzling to me. Also, the fact that there was no like with the amount of work Don did to like know Leona Lloyd, there absolutely would have been pictures of her and Haley on the internet. Like you would have, so with all the proposed, maybe he just didn't do any of the research he said he was going to do and just assumed. But like, I feel like if you are in a small fictional Christmas town called Winterstone, everyone knows everyone. Yeah. You can't get away with being the head of the biggest company in the town and then not like, like if you're a, uh, yeah, that whole, that was a little bit unbelievable. <laughs> Just a little bit. And I, and I did, I did find myself yelling a lot. They've had two dates <laughs> with the sort of, my life's now over. She's with this other man that she's not really with. Gemma, didn't you see the camera flare? <laughs> but I was like, you've had two dates. Love. You're supposed to be a rational adult who can't charge his phone. Oh my God. <laughs> Oh, you got your phone working? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. I also was, it was interesting to me that they chose to make Benedict and Beatrice like definitely in love with each other. And yeah, there was really no nuance there. it. Yeah. There was no like trying to get back together. Yeah. Turn to karaoke, they're back together. Right. Yeah. I have to say though, I was very impressed with Claude's chat up lines. What's your favorite species of Christmas tree? <laughs> Well, I don't know. It's like a BuzzFeed quiz. Like, pick your favorite Christmas tree type and we'll tell you what kind of person you are. Are we back in spruces and the pine? Because I know from that that pines are a bit weak and spruces are strong and virile. So it's like, is this some kind of Shakespeare crossover? Am I supposed to bring my knowledge from, from spruces and the pines into this film? Yes. But she, but she ran with it. She, she answered the question with all sincerity and he had a follow-up. And what yeah. shape do you prefer? I don't know. My trees come in like, you know, cony-shaped trees. I, I'm like, I wouldn't know where to start. Like Christmas tree shaped. Yeah. Yep. I want it to look like a Christmas tree. <laughs> Preferably green. Right. Piney. I'd go with a spruce. <laughs> I won't know the difference. It's a tree. <laughs> what did your mum do for a living? What brings you to Winterstone? Yeah, these sensible questions that might have revealed her identity, but he ran with, what's your favourite breed of Christmas tree and what shape do you prefer? Like, I loved it. I loved this movie. I I am hard in on Much Ado About Christmas. I can't wait for Much Ado About Christmas 2. Um, there has to be one. Sure. Winterstone Boogaloo. <laughs> 
I, we, I did it. We did a Twitter feed with my with Ben, who writes the blog with me, and we did. We watched it together, and we sort of, <gasps> Ben's like, "I'm going to have to live tweet this." He's he's a Shakespeare film scholar. His PhD is oh on gosh. like he looks at like adaptations of Titus and catastrophe and adaptations, and I'm like, "Let's watch what to do about Christmas." You can live tweet it. But then somebody had put on Twitter after that, we watched it off the back of our slightly sarcastic live tweets. They said, we watched it. It was so bad. I have to watch it again. But it was it's it's that level of Christmas film. It's got all of the tropes. It's got it's close enough to the Shakespeare that you don't have to sort of do too much. You're not getting angry about the lack of death and destruction. Right. Right. You're not like waiting for the tragic ending. No, and I, it's it's very it's very hallmark. I think yes. it sits yes. it sits so happily in the box. Everyone wears red and green. Mm-hmm. There's that lovely moment when Beatrice turns up for the date with Benedict, and she's not wearing a Christmas jumper. Oh, well, that jumper's brown. It won't do. Put this identical one on that's green. I I thought for a second. I thought for a second it was the same sweater. No, it changed colour. <laughs> it's got a little rosette. Tiny bit. Yeah, I thought they just put the pin on. <sighs> yeah. She wasn't um, appropriately dressed. No, I, listen, I loved it. This was, it was, like I said, a real joy to get to watch all of these amazing films. Um, let's look to the future a little bit. Real quick, Gemma, what play do you think would be uh, the best fodder for Christmas movie? So I have, I have two answers. I have okay. my first, first I'll go with my serious answer. I think as you like it, because I think most films are essentially, these Christmas films are essentially as you like it. You have your your city people go to the country where they get to be themselves and everything's pastoral and people drink cocoa and it's all lovely and kind and beautiful. And then they find who they really are. Quite often they hit romance with someone they'd already known. So it's all this sort of beautiful. So I think as you like it is the the obvious Mm -hmm. Christmas choice. But I have to say, I would love Titus Adventicus. Stop it. Because that would just be phenomenal. We start Titus, he's got oh. 25 sons. We've got one for every day of Advent. So, oh my God. We can just open a calendar, out comes the next Andronicae to sort of give us some sort of... And then could you imagine, there they both are, baked in a festive pie. It, it writes itself. You've got baking, you've got romance, you've oh got God. brothers feuding with the brothers over a woman. It's got all the bits you need for no. death and destruction. Well, and if they can take it out of Romeo and Juliet, they can take it out of Titus. I think we could do that. <laughs> there could be, you know, we could, our envoy could be a festive pie. We, oh. we, it's got all of the key traits. There's people yeah. who bake, there's yeah. multiple sons, there's mistaken identity, mm-hmm. there's, there's love triangles aplenty. Yeah. Um, that's a, honestly a poll I was not expecting. We could make um. it work. <laughs> Titus Adventicus. Uh, Hallmark, make it happen. I was going to say Love's Labor's Lost, I think would be a really funny Christmas movie. Just because like that whole um, kind of the same thing you were saying, like you have to have people coming to town that are new. You have to have that like um, reintroduction of of city to country or whatever it is. So if you've got these four boys holed up and then you've got these four women who come to town and then like offset all their plans, I think it would make a really cute little hijinksy Christmas film. And your play within a play could be like a little adventy play. There could be yes. elves and singing and small children. <laughs> it could be lovely. There have to be small children singing. Um, that was something missing from Rodeo and Juliet and Spruces in the Pines. I will say we did not have nearly enough children's choruses. There were no children. No children. Just lack of children in both of those films. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think Love's Life is Lost would, would work. It's got all the, all the things you need. There's disguise. 
yeah. there's hidden people hiding there's 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 camping we could have a little kind of <laughs> marquee christmas market type setup yeah that'd be awesome yeah. Yeah, I think it would be good. Um, Hallmark, if you're listening, uh, the great being that is Hallmark, um, let us know. We'll we'll put some we'll put some storyboards together for you for uh, our as you like it, Titus Adventicus and Love's Labor's Last Christmas films. Gemma, thank you so much for doing this for giving me the gift of these movies. <laughs> Let everyone know again where they can find your blog and all of your work. So we're on Medium. It's Rethinking Shakespeare on Medium. And you can find me on Twitter at Gemma Allred. <laughs> this is great. I hope you all go out and watch these movies uh, immediately. They're almost all on Peacock. They're all on Peacock. I got found them all on Peacock. So if you've got that, watch them. If you don't, I'm sure there are versions on the internet you can find somewhere. <laughs> You can find them. They're, they're well hidden, but they, they do exist. We don't really have Hallmark movies in Europe. So we tend to have to wait and then it's the day that they're on TV. But yes, you can find them if you know where to look. Amazing. Thank you for being here, Gemma. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, happy holidays and we'll see you all next week. Thank you very much. Bye. Serious business.